Hello, comrades. Thank you for tuning in to the bi-weekly podcast, The Left Network. This is your host, Don Andrews. This week, we are going to be discussing partly the situation in Venezuela, the U.S. hypocrisy on what's going on there, and the racist, undemocratic process of our Constitution in the USA, and we're going to be talking about defending the uh, Bolivarian Revolution in Venezuela. Then we're going to be talking about, yet again, I mean, really, you could do almost if not weekly, a daily story about police violence, especially towards the African-American community. We're going to be discussing another police violence case towards uh, the African-American community. And for the learning segment this week, we are going to be reading uh, a segment written by a professor at the University of Eastern uh, Kentucky, or Eastern Kentucky University, I'm sorry, I said that all backwards, And it's going to be a brief history of slavery and the origins of American policing. So, uh, first of all, before we get started, I would like to announce that the Left Network now has an official Patreon. And that's going to be patreon.com slash the Left Network. And if you give $5 a month per more, uh, or $5 a month or more, You'll be able to get an extra learning segment in between the bi-weekly normal show. So you will be able to get uh, material uh, uh, that's read to you easily uh, that others don't. So you don't have to go to the effort of reading the articles online. You could just plug in, listen if you're driving, you're at work. Something informational, something educational to listen to. So... uh, Anyway, uh, also, once again, I'm telling people, uh, look up People's Congress of Resistance. Um, I'll leave it at that. Google that. Learn what it's about. Guarantee you'll like it. So, this week we're going to start off with the U.S. hypocrisy in Venezuela, the racist and undemocratic U.S. Constitution. And this is an article coming from uh, liberationnews.org. And it is written by John Beachman, uh, Beecham, or I hope I said that right. Sorry if I didn't. All right. It is truly astonishing to watch the U.S. media and political establishment denounce the elections for the Constituent Assembly in Venezuela as a so-called, quote-unquote, threat to democracy and power grab by the dictator Maduro. That's so completely preposterous on its face and especially ridiculous when one considers the long history of U.S. imperialism subverting democracy in Latin America and the rest of the world, often using the most brutal forms of violence. It is an outrage, topsy-turvy, and completely hypocrisy that the leaders of both major parties in the Senate are actually using the democratic elections in Venezuela as a pretext to go into full regime change mode against a democratically elected president. U.S. imperialism is in fact supporting an opposition in Venezuela that is full of oligarchs, racist CAA functionaries, and reactionaries that seek to overthrow the government using terrorist tactics. It would be laughable if this were not such a serious life and death matter that the U.S. lectures to anybody about constitutional process. 
The U.S. Constitution was drafted over 200 years in a, uh, over 200 years ago in a secret uh, in secret by a small group of little over 50 rich white men, most of whom were slave owners. Their main goal in drafting and adopting the Constitution were to consolidate the rule of wealthy, protect slavery, establish a government strong and stable enough to end ongoing rebellions and start carrying out the forced and brutal removal of native population. Over these goals, they constructed a shabby veneer of democracy in which a tiny fraction of the population voted and no one directly voted for the president, the Senate, the Supreme Court, or military officials. It is not surprising that the U.S. government, the corporate media, and the CIA are erasing from view and trying to extinguish the millions of people actively supporting and defending the progressive, socialist-led Bolivarian Revolution in Venezuela. The lives of the working and oppressed people mean nothing to U.S. ruling class from constitutional slavery until today. Just look at how the U.S. state and, uh, and media apparatus has worked night and day for the last three years to silence, ignore, and defeat the movement for black lives. The U.S. establishment has not done one significant thing to stop poverty, mass incarceration, and racist police terror in the country, despite the fact that the Black Lives Matter movement has shut down the highways and streets of nearly every uh, nearly every major city in the country and has completely changed the political discussion about justice both in this country and around the world. The U.S. Constitution. This is what James Madison, a wealthy slave owner and the principal framer and promoter of the Constitution said from the floor of the Constitutional Convention in 1787, according to the notes of Robert Yates, quote unquote, in England at this day, if elections were open to all classes of people, the property of landed proprietors would be insecure. An agrarian law would soon take place. If these observations be just, our government ought to secure the permanent interests of the country against innovation. Landholders ought to have a share in the government to support these invaluable interests and to balance and check the other. They ought to be constituted as to protect the minority of the opulent against the majority. The Senate, therefore, ought to be this body, and not to these purposes. They ought to have permanency and stability. You can't make this stuff up. Madison, in fact, thought the society was naturally made up of classes and that government should protect the upper classes. The U.S. Senate was designed as an upper house on the model of the House of Lords in Britain, an heredity body of oligarchs that was established to protect the rule of the quote-unquote opulent. There has not been one single day in the history of this country that the Senate, a body which over nine, uh, 1,900 of the almost 2,000 people who have served in it have been white men, have, has not carried out its business in the interests of the ruling class. Just look at the Senate today. It's full of people who live in opulent lives, who get elected with money from the wealthiest people in the history of the world. Among other things, the original U.S. Constitution established the legality of slavery through a fugitive slave clause and counted slaves as three-fifths of a person so that slave states, which included New York, by the way, could represent uh, beyond even the actual puny voting numbers. Some democracy, right? 
patting your power and, uh, and representation on the backs of slaves, human beings who were legal property based on their skin. In fact, the Constitution in no way extended to black people, or most people for that matter. Only a tiny, tiny fraction of the country could vote well into the 20th century. When the Constitution and then the Bill of Rights were passed, slaves had no voting rights and were forbidden by numerous laws from bearing arms, reading, assembling, and so much more. The original Constitution set up the Senate not based on popular vote, but on the appointment by the state legislatures to this, uh, legislatures. To this day, the Senate decides who is going to be on the Supreme Court and has a powerful legislative authority that constitutionally trumps even the power of the presidency. A tiny handful of senators, based on seniority system and committee system in the Senate, have control over the laws in the United States. No national law can be passed in the United States unless it is passed in the Senate, and no law can be passed in the Senate unless it is allowed on the floor by a Senate committee chairperson. For most of the U.S. history, the Senate committees have been dominated by straight-up white supremacists, people who oppose equality. The undemocratic U.S. Senate should be abolished, and the U.S. Constitution needs to be scrapped. The people in power in this country need to be stopped from mouthing platitudes about democracy. The working and oppressed people of this country should follow the examples of workers and oppressed people in Venezuela who seek to make their laws on their own. We should fight for a constitution of, by, and for the people that abolishes the dictatorship of the racists as a first step to help make a truly democratic uh, country where the rich don't rule, uh... The writer says he is going to the People's Congress of Resistance, being held in Washington, D.C. at Howard University on September 16th to September 17th. And he says you should join them. And you should, if you have the time. It is very important. So, uh, one of the things I would like to personally touch on is the fact that uh, the author is right on that. Uh, he hit the uh, nail on the head. For example, the electoral process, that was put in a uh, place to partially uh, protect slavery because a majority of people in the country, if allowed to uh, directly vote, would probably be anti-slave because they would see it as, uh, well, to be honest, a lot of the people at the time were racist in general, but not only would they be racist and probably not want them there, but two, uh, they would also see it as, you know, job killing, um, even at that time probably. But like I said, I remind people, African Americans did not migrate to this country mostly on free will. A majority of people of African American descent in this country's ancestors were stolen from their land and brought here for genocide and enslavement. So, you know, just keep that in mind. But, uh, yeah, so it was set up to protect slavery because, for one, uh, like I said, you had to be a rich white male pretty much at that time to even vote for much of the 20th century. You had to be a landowner, so which wasn't cheap. And, uh, yeah, so basically you wouldn't have a majority of people voting down pro-slavery things. The minority of slave owners would be protected by that. So it's very important to keep in mind when the U.S. media and our politicians, both quote-unquote leftists, 
which are not really leftists and they're liberals and conservatives, unite on the issue against Venezuela. I mean, they unite against this cause because it's imperialism, and imperialism in our government just goes with capitalism because a majority of our government are rich people, and this is their pockets that get served because, you know, if you have government toppling, you have arms sales going on, you have all sorts of stuff going on, you have armed contractors probably giving donations to super PACs that support campaigns who we damn well know have uh, contact with these politicians even though they're legally not supposed to. It's all BS. So it's very important to keep that in mind. Alright, we continue on with Venezuela in this article, Defend the Bolivarian Revolution in Venezuela, written by Eugene uh, Pur uh, Purier, I hope I'm saying that right, I apologize if I'm not, uh, on liberationnews.org also. So, amidst massive demonstrations, Venezuela's constituent assembly has been sworn in in the capitals, or in the country's capital of Caracas. In the same time, the struggle between the socialist Bolivarian uh, movement and the pro-capitalist right-wing opposition is heating up with several figures arrested and the country's attorney general replaced. International media is pushing aggressively to undermine the government and fan the flames of discontent. The enemies of the Bolivarian Revolution in Venezuela are in overdrive trying to discredit the July 30th vote of the Constituent Assembly delegates. Unable to break the uh, Chavista base and set the stage for a coup, uh, coup, the opposition and the international supporters have no choice but to try to discredit the outcome and strengthen their relative position. At this center of this entire, or at the center of this entire controversy, is whether the officially declared number of voters, eight million eighty-nine thousand three hundred and twenty, was accurate. That this allegation is based on a few claims with no evidence. The opposition is circulating the absurd, uh, the uh, absurdly low estimate of two to three million total, total voters. Their claim is further marred by their so own so-called referendum process occurring two weeks earlier, which lacked basic elements of a democratic vote like the secret ballot. In fact, in the right wing's referendum, all the evidence required for an audit was burned. How convenient are all the evidence required for an audit was burned? How convenient. News agency uh, Reuters has seen what it claims are inter internal documents from election officials from several hours before the polls closed that allegedly show a voter participation rate too slow to support claims of 8 million votes. Finally, Smartomatic, the company that made the electronic voting hardware, claims they have information from their uh, systems that show turnout was 7 million. Smartomatic has not provided any technical information to how they know this, and some reports have it that their role is only limited to supplying hardware and software. Almost immediately after making these declarations, Smartomatic appears to have closed their offices and removed 20 managers from the country. Results reflect deep roots of revolutionary process. These three, th uh, these three thinly sourced and widely divergent claims also stand in stark contrast to the performance of the bo uh, Bolivarian forces at the ballot box since Hugo Chavez was elected in 1998. 
The largest ever vote achieved by the Bolivarian Socialist Movement was Hugo Chavez's presidential election in 2012, the last before he died, which 8,191,132, uh, wait, 8,191,132 Venezuelans cast ballots for Chavez and his socialist movement. By contrast, in his first election in 1998, Chavez only received 3,673,685 votes. Only once in the last decade have the forces of Chavismo gained less than 5 million votes in the five national elections during that time. If we assume that each of the 7,587,579 people who voted for President Maduro in 2013 voted, then, fi then roughly 500,000 more people would have had to turn out to reach the total of just over 8 million. That, uh, this is a number smaller than the just over 600,000 vote difference between Chavez's presidential vote in 2012 and Maduro's in, two uh, in total in 2013. In other words, the announced vote total in the Constituent Assembly election is well within the demonstrated voting base of the Bolivarian movement, if on its upper end. Was voter turnout hurt by economic and social crisis? The argument to bolster claims of much lower voter t uh, turnout centers on the uh, current economic turmoil in the country. In this telling, the economic difference, uh, difficulties have resulted in mass desertions from the Chavista camp. The, uh, there are serious reasons to doubt the narrative. Since the 2015 National Assembly election won by the opposition served as a warning of how serious a toll the economic crisis was taking, the economic situation is clearly stabilized to a degree. While there are shortages of certain goods, the government has established a baseline through a central goods and distribution, uh, distribution program known as CLAP. The program distributes subsidized food and basic household goods directly to just under 6 million households. A progressive tax overhaul has reduced the reliance on oil revenues to fund the government's budget, over 70% of which is spent on various social programs and popular democratic organs. Establishing this greater physical certain, uh, certainty makes the constant continuation of, uh, of pillar social programs much more realistic, even amidst crises. The announcement in the spring that CLAP would push to expand to 6 million families tellingly coincided with the rise in support as measured by opinion polls. For the Bolivarian coalition from 27% in January to 35% in April, uh, da data analysis, a polling company often... Uh, cited by the Western press, recorded a similar 6% increase in the approval rating of President Nicolas Maduro between the end of 2016 and March 2017. In 2015, National Assembly, despite losing their majority, the Chavista coalition tallied more uh, votes than in 2010 when they won a majority of the votes in the National Assembly. There are other reasons to believe that grassroots participation drove voter enthusiasm as well. Their constituent process is not simply a commandist exercise. Major components of the Bolivarian coalition like the Communist Party and Fatherland for All Party presented candidates in an anti-imperialist front. Along with the Tupamaros, a socialist collective, and socialist currents inside the ruling United Socialist Party, PSUV, 
there were a range of radical and socialist candidates. Yes, there are also capitalist and bureaucratic elements trying to opportunistically benefit, which only reinforces that the process contains within a real debate on how to confront various challenges and contradictions. These issues range from practical issues such as how to deal with shortages to the larger questions of how to integrate the tens of thousands of communal councils, thousands of communes, and broader areas of economy. How much to impinge on private property and whether and how to combine workers' control and nationalization of industry or whether or what the proper balance between the regular army and popular militias. Indigenous nations chose representatives to represent their communities in the assembly, and Afro-Venezuelan groups are more or less united in support and participating in constituent process. The revolution is taking bold steps to develop solutions that the meet the scale of their problems, things that need new structures and governing, process and a new constitution. In the face of that, there was a total boycott by the opposition and sanctions from most of the powerful nations on earth whose president also leveled vague threats. Rank bigot vice president Mike Pence placed a pre-election call to Leopoldo Lopez, one of the leaders of the street opposition that burns people alive just for being suspected of Bolivarian loyalties. Both internally and internationally, it became clear that this was a turning point election. A poor turnout meant the end of the Bolivarian experiment. A strong showing would give legitimacy to a deepening uh, the revolution and a more explicit embrace of people-centered society, socialism. As a turning point election, it fits another pattern that... Uh, Betresses the CNE election results. The ratification of the first Bolivarian constitution in 1999 opened a new space for their progressive moves. It also provoked a vicious backlash by capitalist elites who launched an employer's lockout to sabotage the economy and ultimately uh, launched a coup in 2002. The coup, the first major turning point, was defeated after mass crowds thronged the streets of Caracas demanding the return of President Chavez. In 2004, the opposition attempted to recall President Chavez, who f they felt was still weak from the failed coup attempt. In 1998, Chavez had been elected with roughly 3 million votes. In 2004, over 5 million went to the ballot box to support him in a second major turning point election. After the victory, the referendum, the Bolivarian process, began to ra uh, radicalize and implement large-scale uh, social missions and promote the growth of communal structures. In 2006, President uh, Chavez, having been vilified by major powers but celebrated for remarkable social, uh, social achievements in uh, Venezuela, was facing a major test. Some 74.6% of the voting eligible population showed up. Chavez and the socialist camp won 62% of those votes as 7.3 people uh, raised the red flag at the ballot box, reaffirming the mass support of the radical turn of the Venezuelan process. After a failed constitutional reform in 2007, 2007 Chavismo was facing the reality that their leader was term limited. The socialist bloc rallied 2 million more voters to their banner than 2007 as 54% of the voters ratified abolishing term limits, giving new life to the Bolivarian coalition. In 2012, the opposition nominated Enrique Capriles, the most electrifying candidate they had 
uh, yet fielded, who demagogically and totally disingenuously ran on a Chavismo-like campaign, which drove turnout to 80% and saw Chavez walk away with the convincing victory of 55% of the electorate, 8 million votes. Just over 7 million people uh, rallied to save the Bolivarian government from disaster in 2013 after the tragic death of Hugo Chavez. It seems eminently plausible that a movement has been uh, that has rallied at the ballot box in critical moments, the masses who defeated a coup with nothing but the presence of their bodies, the neighborhoods that formed councils and communes, the movement that seized land from oligarchs and occupied the factories of industrialists, a movement that is forming armed defenses or defense brigades to defend the seized land, and those occupied factories from uh, opposition sabotage attempts that a movement like that would rally one more time when their process to build another world was threatened. I'm going to take a quick sip of water real quick. Sorry about that. Opposition divided by results. Dangers remain. The final confirmation that the turnout on July 30th was indeed robust is in the split uh, is the split in the opposition and the cautious statements of the U.S. officials who have stressed "quote unquote" dialogue. Some State Department figures have tried to tamp down speculation about U.S. support for a coup. Major opposition party Acción Acción Democrática has already announced that they will participate in regional elections in December. These forces recognize that the violent opposition protests have failed to paralyze the country to the point where a coup is possible and failed to expand its base beyond a more affluent area in the country. However, violent protests will continue. The opposition is split, and some such as Maria Corina Machado, Leopoldo Lopez, and Freddy Guevara want to establish an alternate government. Some forces internationally undoubtedly will continue to rally to their cause. Without any doubt, the struggle will become sharper as this happens. The government will undoubtedly take measures to protect the Bolivarian movement and the opposition will most likely escalate their violence in certain areas. The international media, the major imperialist governments, and the right-wing movements will claim any suppression of opposition forces is a terrible breach of democracy by an authoritarian dictatorship. They will never truly explain what, it really, what is really at stake. They won't pose the question as being a struggle between the hope of true progress and a country being dragged back into the morass of inequality and squandered wealth dominated by a few elites. For progressive people who think, who think housing, education, health care should be rights, that believe that the shameful histories of genocide of the indigenous and enslaving of Africans in the Americas must be confronted, these people must stand shoulder to shoulder with the Bolivarian Revolution. If it is crushed, a beacon of hope for all causes we've just mentioned will be snuffed out. So... That's a great article by uh, Eugene. So, I would basically like to give my opinion on that real quick. And to me, this 
is what it comes down to. Basically, they have a democratic process there. And this was set up in a modern era for the interests of the people. This wasn't set up 200 years ago like ours for the interests of slave owners or now modern-day corporate shareholders or sharecroppers, I mean. So they have this set up, and it has been consistently, you know, the first election they got some 3 million-odd votes and won. Since then, it's been like 5 to 7 million. So 8 million turnout is not far off from the usual. So... U.S. media trying to blow this out of proportion. This is ridiculous. Like they said, the the people who made the voting machine. Hold on, let me let me pull up that name again. What is it? Smartomatic or something, something like that. Hold on, give me one second. It was Smartmatic. Yeah, like it said. Even they're not giving. Uh, even they're not really showing the information behind their claims. No technical information. And, you know, there's some sources saying their roles are literally limited to supplying the hardware and software. So, this all just comes into the pattern of U.S. regime change. We've, we're trying to do it in Syria. We're trying to do it in Venezuela. We did it in Iraq. We did it in Libya. We're trying to do it in North Korea. And if you look at it, basically, you know, it comes down to the fact that we don't care if you have democracy. What we care about is that your quote-unquote democratically elected leader is favorable to the U.S. If he's not favorable to the U.S., if he's not a big fan of America, then he's not going to last, you know? If we're not outright sending troops, we're secretly funding opposition wings. I mean, look at Syria. You know, we're fighting. Uh, we were funding the Syrian, uh, the you know, the quote-unquote moderate Syrian forces, and a lot of those arms ended up getting in the hands of Al Qaeda and ISIS. And I'm sure that wasn't even an accident because. We're pretty much at the point anybody but Assad, because in the end, as long as we get claims to the oil, that's all we care about. Because it's like this. If we were to go outright and topple Assad, you know, that could raise international crisis because that is a sovereign government. Versus if we helped other forces such as al-Nusra, you know, the quote-unquote moderate forces... And ISIS, if we help them all topple Assad, and then it's just chaos, and then we came in to crush the chaos and establish a, you know, just government. See what I'm saying? We benefit. That's the only, that's why we might, you know, be okay with ISIS and Al-Qaeda functioning there. Because then we can come in and save the day, when really, we're not saving the day. We're there for our own interests. We're there for your oil, and we're there to take your resources. We don't care about your people or anything like that, or your sovereignty. Part of the reason why, you know, it, it, it's a shaming, it's a, or what's the word? It, it's shameful to be an American in some senses, but, you know, that's why we got to fight and take this land back from the rich, you know? And self-determination, I mean, think about, for example, like, you know, the native, you know, people 
and reservations who are forced, you know, into these little reservations. And then, you know, we still drill on their land and we don't give them any choice. You know, that's what I mean. We need to give self-determination back to the indigenous, you know, to the minorities. We need to bring everybody together into a real people's government. Shout out to uh, People's Congress of Resistance once again. So, you know, back to Venezuela. You know, it comes down to this. Like I just said, if you are not favorable to the United States, we do not want you in power. And we will do anything in our means to take care of and get rid of you. I mean, Venezuela drastically under uh, Chavista control has reduced their poverty limit uh, levels and so forth and so on. They've made amazing progress. I want to say somewhere I saw in an article they've they built like something recently like four million new homes or something. I mean, what they're doing is they're using their national proceeds to actually go towards the people. And of course, you know, because to be honest, Venezuela is not full-on socialist. There are capitalist elements, and they are fighting the socialist elements tooth and nail to make sure they don't have full control. They want to keep those profits. They want that private property. They don't want to have to be forced to give back to their workers who make them that uh, money. And that's just the reality of it. So anyway, once again... That's pretty much going to be our coverage on Venezuela here for uh, this week. So I'm going to take a moment here to once again give a shout out to our Patreon. The Left Network now has a Patreon. Dun, da, da, da. What does that mean? That means if you donate $5 or more... You will be able to get in between the regular bi-weekly podcasts an extra learning segment. Because who doesn't like learning? Knowledge is power. And if you donate, uh, well, I'll put it this way. For people who give more, I'm going to figure out a way to give more back to the people who donate. Because we're trying to grow. And right now, I record at a good friend of mine's, uh, Blades Dark. Shout out, uh, hey, Blades. It's bladesdark.com, right? Yeah. Yep. And if you want to check out the work he does, it's www.bladesdark.com. So one of the things I'm working towards for the Patreon is being able to buy my own equipment so I don't have to bug him every two weeks because I'm sure he has a life too, but... I don't mind it, though. It's good. I support... The left network. He says he supports, which we love. But, uh, yeah, you should really, if you have time, go check out the work he does. He's an amazing photographer. He has a really nice studio. So, www.bladesdark.com. Go check him out. But, anyway, yeah. So, if you want to donate to me, you want to go to www.patreon.com slash the left network and like I said we're trying to earn you know enough money for a studio and then who knows maybe if we get enough donations down the line you know we'll, we'll have enough money to send me on trips to go places to do actual on you know the ground report coverages of things you know from 
you know, Standing Rock to just, you know, things going on around the country. You know, maybe someday international. Who knows? Dream big. But, uh, yeah, anyway, so that's going to end part one. Uh, this week might be a tiny bit short just because I don't have a guest this week. I went on vacation, and I wanted to bring you guys – uh, you know, another bi-weekly episode on time. I'm a day late. I ap- apologize as I'm recording this, and hopefully I'm going to have this out by the end of the day. It's Sunday. Uh, I want to say August 6th. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be the end of part one. So I will catch you all on part two for another learning set or for another news article. Maybe I'll throw another one in if there's time. And... The learning segment. See you on part two, comrades.